Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. Welcome to another session of The Art of Living, the letters and advice of the Rebbe on various subjects. On this particular occasion, we're dealing with the subject of despair of giving up hope. Here's a letter from 1956 to a woman in Brooklyn. I received your letter, and I am answering it in full haste ahead of the schedule of letters. I am surprised by what you write in your letter that your opportunity has passed and you will not be able to have children. How does a human being know such things? Obviously, you're basing it on your age, but that is not conclusive because it is explained in the Talmud and by the sages, and we also see this in experience. Women older than you are having children, sons and daughters. And when we look at the world as God created it, And we observe, as the verse says, how great are your creations, O God, and how numerous are your creations. It becomes clear that a person, no one person, can encompass all of creation and be an expert in all things, not even in many things. Usually a person can master one area, one subject. And that's why we have so many different experts on the various subjects and various sciences. And therefore, reasonably, a person should not offer an opinion or a conclusive opinion on the area in which he is not the expert, but rather rely on those who are experts in that area. Concerning your case, although Torah gives great importance to the opinion of doctors and many laws in Jewish law in the Shulchan Aruch are based on the opinion of the doctors, it is also customary to follow the instruction of doctors concerning actual deed, the taking of medicines, etc., But at the same time, we need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is the healer of all flesh and he conducts his world as he wishes, which means that our daily lives, the lives of each one of us, in every detail and detail of the detail, all of it is guided by God's will and by God's plan. And certainly, in things that are so basic and fundamental as having children. It is also evident from your letter that the opinion that you are writing and and voicing is not the opinion of a specialist in this field. But even if it were the case that the expert in the field is saying that the possibilities for you are gone, have ended, 
we see so many examples, so often that the expert opinion turns out not to be correct. And so it's just a matter of strong trust that a person must have in his connection to the Creator. This trust, which is a daily experience, also increases the joy that the person feels, the enthusiasm for life. And the joy gives us the ability to influence the people around us as the Baal Shem Tov writes that a soul can come down from heaven to earth and live for 70, 80 years on earth for the purpose, for the express purpose of doing one other Jew a favor, either spiritually or materially. And who understood the descent of the soul better than the Baal Shem Tov? The soul comes down from the highest of heavens to the lowest conditions in creation. And yet he said that the purpose of it all is to do another person a favor. And this was transmitted for generations after him, generations that are experiencing a deeper and darker gullus than before. And yet it is still true. And especially so concerning a young woman who has not yet used all of her abilities, all of her talents in influencing the environment, the community around her for the good. To arouse in them that which is positive in their soul and to strengthen the good. And good, of course, means Torah and mitzvahs. And not only on Shabbos or on holidays or on special occasions, but necessarily to bring about this feeling in people in their daily lives. Because those are the days which people can mistakenly believe are meaningless and insignificant. The truth is that there is no need to explain or to elaborate on this very obvious and important point. All it takes is a brief thought, a brief reflection, that every one of us, children of Israel, the descendants of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, is part of that bridge that connects the Creator with His creation, and we do this in our daily lives, and how much more so when we engage in those activities mentioned above, in influencing others to do the same and to bring about a greater connection between the Creator and creation. And that, after all, is the ultimate purpose of all of creation. It is certainly unnecessary to add that my intention here is not, God forbid, to trivialize the need or the importance of children, sons, and daughters. I am merely pointing out the obvious truth, and that is that there is no room, there is no justification for sadness and discouragement, and certainly not the expressions that you use in your letter that uh, smack of despair and yish. On the contrary, on the contrary.
Concerning your other question about moving to a new location and the question of taking a child in to your home to raise him, a foster child, this depends on how it will affect both you and your husband. Will it increase your joy? Will it strengthen your trust in God that God will fulfill your request and you will have children of your own? In that case, it would certainly be a good thing to do. And I believe that I've already written to you about this on another occasion based on the talk given by my father-in-law in which he says that a person must make account of himself, do some soul-searching. It is essential to the dignity and to the growth of a human being. While at the same time, you have to be careful that this soul-searching should happen only on special occasions and not constantly, because the constant soul-searching does more damage than good. So avoid soul-searching every day, not even every week. Better, put all your energies and all your talents in the above activities mentioned above, in influencing your environment and the people around you, and God will repay you measure for measure, just as you're giving to others, God will give to you, but much more and in greater measure. The letter here, obviously, it speaks for itself and doesn't need any commentary at all. The discouragement that people feel when the years go by and there's no child can be devastating, and no words could possibly uh, encourage or lift up the spirits of someone who is waiting desperately to have a child. But the Rebbe's words, coming from the Rebbe, can certainly change a person's feelings. And the Rebbe doesn't mince words. There is no room, there is no justification for your despair. On the contrary, strong words. It seems the Rebbe is saying that your trust, your confidence that God will answer your prayer, is in itself a way to guarantee that the prayer will be answered. Because... Why do we need a prayer? When we have a need and that need is not being fulfilled, we naturally assume that we're not getting what we're asking for because we probably don't deserve it. Or God doesn't feel that we deserve it. If that's the case, then what is the point in asking? What's the point in trusting? What's the point in being confident that your prayers will be answered if the reason they're not being answered is that you don't deserve. And if you don't deserve, what is trusting going to change, and how does prayer change it? So it seems that if, in fact, the prayer has not yet been answered because we are not yet deserving, it seems that what will make us deserving, the virtue that will bring us to a higher level in which we are more deserving, that virtue could be the trust itself. Trust in God is a great virtue, is a great spiritual achievement. And if we raise ourselves to that level of trust, then we are becoming more deserving. We are creating greater vessels, so to speak, to absorb and to contain the blessing that we are asking for. So the prayer could be that mitzvah that is missing, that is preventing the blessing from being fulfilled, 
or being given, and trust might be that virtue or that mitzvah that could bring the blessing that had been delayed or blocked or for whatever reason withheld. Here's another letter from the same year to a man in Brooklyn. In response to your letter from uh, uh, Saturday night of Beratius, in which you write that you feel a sadness and a loss of hope, and you're assuming that that comes from your study of the holy books. Now, you must know what is explained in many places in Hasidus, how objectionable and how strongly we must resist any sadness and the great damage that that does and the weakening of the person in his battle with his evil inclination that sadness produces. And we must therefore free ourselves as quickly as possible of the sad, from the sadness because it does not come from the side of good. It doesn't come from the good in us. As in all negative traits, the way to avoid it is not by fighting it, but by adding and increasing the good. Even a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. How much more so a lot of light. And if you will put your energies into studying diligently and at fixed times, fixing the time not only on your calendar but also in your soul, that learning becomes a natural part of your day, and learning Torah brings joy to the heart and to the soul. As it is written, the commandments of God are righteous. They cause the heart to rejoice. This will automatically remove and completely nullify that feeling of despair and even the feeling of sadness. Particularly, if you would reflect for a moment on the divine providence where God, who is the essence of goodness, oversees every life, every day, in all of its details. And therefore, it is man's job only to stand in strong connection to God and to see to it that the channels to receive God's blessings are open and great. And that is, through the things mentioned before, the joy and the learning. Generally, the, the channels that bring God's blessings are three. The study of Torah, prayer, and good deeds. God should give you success in all of the above, and you should be able to report good news. And that is that you are serving God, even though serving involves difficult work and effort, which may sound sad or discouraging, but all of that, including the work, all of it should be done with joy. May you bring uh, good tidings in the future. Now here we have a more spiritual despair. The man writes that he's feeling saddened and discouraged, and he's assuming that it comes from the study of the holy books. And I guess he finds himself wanting 
falling short of the standards that the holy books are setting for him. The first thing that Ebbe says is, regardless of where the sadness is coming from, if you're pursuing holiness and if you're trying to be good, Hasidus has explained in many, many ways and in many, many occasions that sadness is not the way to virtue. In our struggle with our negative side, with our evil inclination, sadness is a trap. Sadness saps the godly soul of its energy and enthusiasm and makes us more vulnerable to defeat, to surrender, to neglect, to the loss of virtue, the loss of dignity. Joy, on the other hand, makes it much easier to maintain our standards, to think positive, to reach higher, and that gives the godly soul a great edge and advantage over the animal soul. And so the first thing is, if you're truly looking for virtue, then you have to recognize sadness as a definite evil. Not just a psychological disadvantage, but a moral disadvantage. And so Hasidus treats sadness not as a problem, but as a sin, as an unholiness. It's all part parcel of the evil inclination that causes the person to be sad in order to drain him of all resistance and then can lead the person into sin much more easily. So the first thing that Ebbe says is you must reject the sadness and the hopelessness as you would reject any suggestion or any feeling of the Yetzahara, of the evil inclination. So if a person was gripped with a feeling of jealousy or of rage or of uh, disbelief, he would certainly reject that feeling, recognize it as evil, and resist it. The Rebbe is saying that this sadness also is not coming from studying holy books. It's coming from the unholiness of the evil inclination that is trying to discourage you from the study of holy subjects. And therefore, the solution is very practical and simple. Put all your efforts, more effort, more enthusiasm, into the study of Torah and the pursuit of holiness, and that light will dispel the darkness. Particularly, the Rebbe says, if you consider divine providence, since everything happens by divine plan, all your needs, all your abilities will be provided from above as you need them in the pursuit of godliness and in the service of God. And therefore, all we need to do is make sure that we are receptive and that we have the channels through which to receive those blessings and that strength uh, and that talent that God will surely give us as we need it in the service of God. And what keeps the channels open? And what are the channels? What keeps the channels open is the connection and the attachment that we have to the Creator. And it comes through three pillars, the three channels of study of Torah, prayer, and good deeds. In the parenthesis, where the Rebbe says that good deeds sometimes demand a lot of effort, because the Hebrew word avayda, which means service, the doing of good deeds, the word avayda is related to working, the expression of working the hides, turning a hide into parchment. It's a very difficult, messy, smelly job. And so 
perfecting ourselves or improving ourselves and cleansing ourselves of all of our negative traits is also a difficult, demanding, and messy job, which is why it's called avida. It's called a task, a job. And that could be burdensome. It could be discouraging. And yet the Rebbe says that we serve God with joy. Serve means to work hard at a possibly distasteful job. And yet we serve, we do even that with joy. And so, again, we see how the Rebbe rejects all possibility of sadness or despair. How could you despair when you're living in God's world and God takes care of everyone and everything to their minutest details? What possible justification can there be for the loss of hope, for discouragement? I guess that makes it rather obvious that the unholiness, the ungodliness of despair is that it, it suggests a lack of awareness and a lack of trust in God's providence. The feeling of despair would be justifiable if, in fact, God had abandoned the world, if you were on your own, if you were left to your own devices, if it was completely up to you to make everything work, and you don't find that strength or those abilities within yourself, then you give up. You're not equal to the task. But since God has never abandoned the world, after creating the world, he continues to create it every moment and therefore pays attention to every detail and plans every detail and wishes it into existence. And since he wants us to serve him and he wants us to succeed and he wants us to have all the blessings that we ask of him, going back to the previous letter about having children, isn't it God who wants us to have children? Isn't that part of his plan? Didn't he say be fruitful and multiply? Doesn't he rejoice with the birth of a new soul, an innocent child into the world? So certainly God wants all of these things and is not neutral on the subject, to borrow a phrase. So certainly there is no room for despair if we are conscious of the fact that God is very much involved and very much concerned with all of these things. So particularly in the religious realm, if you're trying to serve God, which is what God wants, and as the Rebbe says, the connection between creator and creation is the purpose for all of creation in the first place, and you're trying to increase that connection, you're trying to serve as a bridge between the creator and creation, if that's what you're trying to do, and that's what God needs from you, there's no question that God is certainly going to help and make it possible for you to succeed because it is, after all, his project. And so to despair would mean to believe that you are on your own and that it was up to you and your own limited talents to accomplish what God wants. That could be despairing. Oh, that would be despairing. How can you accomplish a divine mission with limited human talent? But the fact is not that way. The fact is that God gives us the ability, that God stays involved, that God is committed to helping us serve him. And what we need to do is keep the channels open.
So reflecting even very briefly on divine providence, both in the case of the religious despair and in the case of the woman who is despairing of ever having children, the Rebbe says, reflect on divine providence. Why have you left God out of the equation? Why are you writing or speaking as if you were all alone in this and finding yourself inadequate? You're never alone in the project. Bringing God back into the picture dispels convincingly any trace of despair. Where's that example of a child, of a young man who was never really taught to read Hebrew? And on one Yom Kippur, he came to shul and he sees everybody praying so intensely, pouring their heart out so earnestly, and he, he felt terrible that he couldn't join them because he couldn't read. And he uh, came up with a plan. He did know the alphabet. He knew the olive bays. And so he said to God, Master of the universe, you know me and you know my, my ignorance and I, I never learned how to read and I can't put together the words. But I do know the letters that make up the words. So I will read you the letters and you put them together into the words that they need to form. And he sat there reading the olive bays. And of course, that caused a great stir in heaven and brought great blessings to that community for that year. It's not just a matter, the story doesn't only uh, bring out the greatness and the power of sincerity and of the value and holiness of, of the olive bays. It also shows us how in his innocence and sincerity, this young man understood that even when you're praying to God, you're not doing it on your own. God is involved, God cares, and God participates. And that it's a legitimate partnership. It's a legitimate deal that you can make with God. I will give you whatever I have. I have the letters. And you will put them together into the words that they need to form, and in that way the prayer will be complete. And so considering divine providence, we do whatever we can. Whatever God has already given us, we use to serve him, and then he completes the deal and does the rest so that the mitzvah is complete and the blessing can be given and received in its fullest.